0: All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, brothers and sisters. Today we enter into what I think you'll find is a new section of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians has 16 chapters, so believe it or not, we're almost done. We're inching closer and closer to the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. But in chapter 12, Paul opens up a new section. Uh, Chapters 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians are all about spiritual gifts. And so we're kind of introducing like a new sermon series today on spiritual gifts that will last us through the end of chapter 14. You might be familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage that we always hear at weddings and stuff. But what you might not know is that that chapter is actually about spiritual gifts. It's in the context of spiritual gifts, even though it's all about love. But the reason Paul talks about love is spiritual gifts and the misunderstanding and the misuse of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. And we start down that path today with the first verses of chapter 12. Now, if you thought that we were past the controversial parts of 1 Corinthians, hold on to your hats. We are going to open up a whole can of worms today and then continue on. And there's all kinds of controversial stuff, all kinds of uh, verses that that are following in these next few chapters that Christians cannot agree on. And we will try, by the Lord's help, to tackle them head on. But today we look at an introduction to spiritual gifts, the topic of spiritual gifts. Let's read our text. Uh, Verses 1 through 11 today, Uh, God's word through the Apostle Paul says this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, before we come to our main points of the sermon today, let me give you some initial comments that I think will help clarify some things. I think some of these are necessary at this point. Today, we will not be tackling the question of whether or not God still grants miraculous gifts today. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait on that one. We will be tackling that question head-on when we come to the end of chapter 13. The second half of chapter 13, we'll tackle that question head-on. All right? but we won't be tackling that question today but what I will tell you now is that I am what is called a cessationist cessationist Uh, I believe that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased right and we will get into all the details why I believe that uh, and my reasons for believing that when we come to the latter half of chapter 13 I do believe God still does miracles today I just don't believe he gives miracle-working powers to individuals like he did to the apostles or to Moses or to Elijah, people like that. Now, you do not have to agree with me on this to be a member of this church. You don't have to agree with me on this. There are many, many sincere Bible-believing Christians that disagree with me on this, all right? Thankfully, this is not one of those first-order issues, okay? What I mean by that is we have what we call first-order issues. Issues that, if you disagree on those, you you can't be a member of this church. If you disagree on those, I I would hesitate to even call you a Christian, right? So first-order issues are things like, you know, God created the world. God created men and women. Uh, The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. We, We worship one God. But in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, right? Those are first-order issues, right? There's no room for a disagreement on those. The Bible is especially clear on those. But this is not one of those first-order issues. Christians can disagree on whether or not God grants miraculous gifts today and still have fellowship with one another and still work with one another and still be believers, all right? So we will open up that can of worms when we get to the end of chapter 13, and we will. We'll hit it head-on, Lord willing. I also need to say, this list that he gives uh, in verses about 8 and following, the list of different gifts, this is not an exhaustive list. There are multiple places in the New Testament where the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. You'll find another list at the end of chapter 12. You'll find another list of spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4, and then one in Romans 12, and even a a hint at spiritual gifts in 1 Peter 4. Now, if you want to hear more about those other passages... They talk about spiritual gifts. I'm going to be preaching about those tonight at 6.30 when we come back together. All right. So we'll talk about what else the New Testament has to say on spiritual gifts tonight. But this list right here is not exhaustive. None of the lists in the New Testament are exhaustive. They're meant to be a sampling. Here are some of the possible possible spiritual gifts. Like, for example, uh, on top of the list that we have in this text, elsewhere in the New Testament we find gifts listed such as generosity, Acts of mercy, serving, evangelism, hospitality, and administration. Right? There's, a, there's a lot more than just what we see here, okay? So, so here's a roadmap for where we're going this morning. Paul gives us two dangers that we need to beware of when it comes to spiritual gifts. And then he gives us four truths about spiritual gifts. And so we're going to take those in turn. Two dangers when it comes to spiritual gifts, four truths. Let's do the dangers first. Danger number one when it comes to spiritual gifts is a lack of understanding. Danger number one is a lack of understanding. Look at verse 1 with me again. Verse 1 he says, Concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then in verse 3 he says, Therefore I want you to understand. To understand. There is perhaps no area of the Christian life that has caused more chaos and confusion than spiritual gifts and the primary reason is a lack of understanding a lack of understanding on what god's word actually says most of the errors that are taught or even caught in this area come from christians who elevate their experience over god's word right most of the errors when it comes to spiritual gifts come from when Christians elevate their experiences over what it says in God's Word. Many of them are not even aware they are doing it. We find uh, an especially helpful, I believe, passage on experience versus God's Word in 2 Peter. The Apostle Peter, if you remember, he wrote 1 and 2 Peter. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 16, he writes this. And this is kind of a lengthy passage, so stay with me here. But here's what he says. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. All right, so that part of the passage... That part of the passage is talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember this? Matthew 17. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his inner three, up on the mountain with him, and Jesus is transfigured before them. He's glorified. He's shining. And Moses and Elijah appear at either side of him. And Peter, James, and John see this with their very eyes. And so Peter's saying, I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I was there. That was my experience. So I've got that experience... For my testimony to tell you that it was real. But then Peter says this. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's saying, I've got this experience, right? These are my credentials. I've got this experience. But there's something even more important than my experience, even more sure than my experience. You can bank on something else more than you can bank on my eyewitness experience. And it's the Word, the prophetic Word. This thing is more important and more sure and more firm than any of our experiences, brothers and sisters. Experiences can be misinterpreted. Experiences can be misinterpreted. Now you might say, well, John, the Bible can be misinterpreted, right? The Bible can be misinterpreted. That's true, but at least the Bible is outside of us, right? At least the Bible is something that all of us look at the same thing. We all see the same words. Yeah, we can interpret it differently, but it's right there outside of us. Martin Luther used to call it the external word, right? But our experiences are completely subjective. You come to me and and talk to me about your experience. Well, who am I to say that anything you say is wrong? I I have no basis to, to go against anything that you tell me when it comes to your experiences. You are the only one who can interpret or misinterpret your experiences. Furthermore, brothers and sisters, God has not promised to reveal himself to us through experiences. He has not promised to reveal himself to us through experiences. But he has revealed himself clearly and definitively in his word. Clearly and definitively. And so we need to let God's word guide us when it comes to spiritual gifts not our experiences or even someone else's testimony of their experiences we let God's Word interpret our experiences listen to this in Matthew 24 24 Jesus says for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect Jesus is saying your experiences are not nearly as firm as this because there can be false signs and wonders out there. You can see something and say, that's a miracle, that's miraculous. And Jesus says, that does not guarantee it's from God. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And so just, just because we have a powerful experience, brothers and sisters, does not automatically mean That that is revelation from God. That is truth from God. Now we have to let the Word inform us when it comes to spiritual gifts. We have to go off what God's Word says, not lift our experiences over God's Word or neglect God's Word. Just because we have had some kind of experience when it comes to spiritual gifts. And so that's danger number one, a lack of information, a lack of understanding. Excuse me. But danger number two was probably more prevalent in the Corinthian church. I say more prevalent, they they might have been equal, but danger number two was division, and still is. Division. There is a danger in spiritual gifts that they may cause division among the church of Christ, among the body of Christ. It was happening in the church of Corinth. You can see this clearly as we go on in chapters 13 and 14. They were dividing over spiritual gifts. Now how can spiritual gifts create division? How can that happen? Well, Let's think about this for a second. It can happen because sometimes it leads to pride. My gifts are better than yours. Right? You can have pride about your spiritual gifts. Or the flip side, you could become jealous and covet someone else's spiritual gifts. His gifts are better than mine. Right? Division Division can happen when you begin seeking glory for yourself. This gift makes people admire me. I'm going to use this gift so people can look at me, so people can give me attention and admiration. Or it can lead to division when you begin misplacing value on people because of spiritual gifts. That person must be more important to God's kingdom because of the obvious public influence of their gift. They must be more important to God's kingdom than others, right? So all kinds of ways spiritual gifts can lead to division if we are uninformed and if we are not careful. Paul tries to hit this head on with everything he's got in verses 4 through 11. Look at verses 4 through 6 first. Verses 4 through 6, he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. It's the same spirit. He says similar thing in verse 5. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, interestingly enough, notice in those three verses, you've got the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead, Spirit, Lord, that's Jesus, and God the Father, right there. All three members of the Trinity in those three verses. But Paul is trying to head off at the past. Now, you don't understand, these gifts that you have, and the gifts that other people have that you don't have, they're all from the same Spirit from the same God. He goes on, verse 7. These are for the common good. Verse 8. It's the same Spirit. Look at verse 9. He says again, the same Spirit, or the one Spirit at the end. And then verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So we've got to be real careful, brothers and sisters, that spiritual gifts don't lead toward division in the church. Remember, 1 Corinthians is a book all about unity. Unity. Unity amongst the church of God. So we've got to be real careful that these spiritual gifts don't lead to division. Now, that's no reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? It's no reason to say, oh, because these could lead to division, there's all kinds of dangers here. We're just going to not talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to act like they don't exist. No, that that would be an error just as much as dividing over them would be, right? Just on on the opposite end. So we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we need to understand the dangers here, Because the Corinthian church didn't understand those dangers, and they were falling into all kinds of errors because of that. Now, I told you there's two dangers, but there's also four truths that Paul gives us about spiritual gifts in this passage. Four truths about spiritual gifts. Let's take them one by one. The first spiritual truth that Paul talks about when it comes to these spiritual gifts, the first truth is that they are gifts. They are gifts. Now you might be saying, John, I worked that one out for myself, thanks. But, don't pass over this. Don't just gloss over this quickly, because they are not something that God owes you. They are not something that God must give to you because of how good you are, because of how much you deserve them. No, these are gifts of God's grace. Remember Romans 6.23, that famous passage, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? He's contrasting wages and gift, right? Wages are what you are owed. Wages are what you earn because of work. A gift, that's totally different. A gift is something given to you. You didn't deserve it. Somebody just decided to bless you with their generosity, right? You can't show off when you are given a gift because you did not earn that. You did not deserve that thing. These are spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. It makes no sense to show off about a gift. Or when someone gives gifts out to people, it makes no sense to complain that you didn't receive a gift when someone else did, or you received a different gift than somebody else did. You guys have, some of you have kids, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Somebody gets a gift, and the rest of the siblings are like, I didn't get the same gift that he did. It's unfair, right? Start complaining. Well, how often do we do this with spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters? They're gifts. They're gifts. It's the giver's choice how they give out gifts. It's their prerogative. You have no say in the matter, nor should you. And if you are tempted to be jealous that someone has a spiritual gift that you don't have, or tempted to be disappointed at the gifts that you got, think about two things. Think about two things. First, when we have that kind of attitude, it's like we are saying we know better than God. It's like we're saying we know better than God. Because it tells us right here, the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit gives these out. He, he proportions them out as He wills. Right? It's God's will how He gives spiritual gifts. But when we're disappointed or when we think, no, I should have that gift and they shouldn't have that gift, I should have... It's like we're saying to God, God, you were wrong. The way that you decided to do this was wrong. I think I know better than you. How absurd is that, right? But second, think about this also. A little bit more encouraging, perhaps. Your deepest happiness will only be found when you embrace God's will for your life, not when you go against it. Your deepest happiness will only be found when you embrace God's will for your life, not when you go against it. When you rest content in whatever the Lord has given you but also content in what he has not given you. Rest in the contentment that the giver of gifts knows not only what is best for his kingdom, but what is best for your heart and soul. What is best for your happiness. And so that's number one. These are gifts. First truth. Second truth about spiritual gifts is that your gifts are not for you. Your gifts are not for you. They are for others. The gifts that you have, those are not for you. They're for others. We'll get verse 7. Verse 7 might be the theme verse in this whole section. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Or to what end? For the common good. Ephesians 4.12, another passage that talks about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, says that spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. And so let's say a person... In this church, this is hypothetical, completely hypothetical, okay? Let's say a person in this church, they they think their spiritual gift is singing. But what they want to do is they want to sing solos. And they want everybody to look at them. And they want everybody to see them perform. And when they're ready to perform, they're going to do it over the top. So that they get all the comments about people walking out of the service, about how talented they are. Well, either that's not a spiritual gift. Or at the very least, that's misusing a spiritual gift. Because brothers and sisters, spiritual gifts are not for you. Your spiritual gifts are for blessing others. Think about every spiritual gift we find in the Bible. Every single one. Serving, teaching, healing, administration, prophecy, hospitality. Every single spiritual gift we find in the Bible is focused on what you can do for other people. Every single one of them. So your spiritual gifts are not meant to be an outlet for your own self-fulfillment. Your spiritual gifts are not meant to be an outlet for you to fulfill yourself. They're not meant to be a showcasing of your talent. As they stay in Star Wars, that's the path to the dark side. It is. That's, that's, That's missing God's purpose for spiritual gift. And it's walking toward Satan and what he wants. Spiritual gifts are not for you. They're for the body of Christ. They're for others. They're for giving. Truth number three about spiritual gifts. Paul says about spiritual gifts, every Christian has them. Every Christian has them. Not some Christians. Every Christian has them. Look at verse six. In verse six, it says, God empowers them all in everyone, verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 11, at the end, the Spirit apportions to each one, each one individually as he wills. Every Christian has spiritual gifts. Every person who genuinely has the Holy Spirit inside of them has spiritual gifts. If you genuinely have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have spiritual gifts, even if you don't know what they are. Now, you might need to take a step back. I think it's healthy for us to take a step back for a moment and ask the question, do I have the Holy Spirit inside of me? Right? Have I actually been born again? It's a question that we all need to ask ourselves regularly. Have I been born again? Am I a Christian? Because, brothers and sisters, this might sound hard to believe for some, but there are people sitting in churches every Sunday who are completely confident that they are saved when they are not. You have to ask yourself, have I genuinely been born again? Is there fruit in my life, according to what the Bible says, of a Christian, of of the Holy Spirit living inside of me? Do not think that just because you got dunked underwater one time, years and years and years and years ago, that guarantees that you are saved. That's part of it. That is part of it. But there are plenty of people out there who think, Well, 25 years ago, I got dunked underwater somewhere, and that means I'm a Christian. When the rest of their life, there's no evidence for it at all. Brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves, do we genuinely have the Holy Spirit? But, Paul says to everyone who genuinely does have it, to everyone who does have the Holy Spirit, they have spiritual gifts. Now, this also means, if you come to church every Sunday, but you're not involved in serving people in the body of Christ... You come to church every Sunday, but you're not serving the body of Christ in any way? You're not using your spiritual gifts. You're not using your spiritual gifts if you just come and sit in church every Sunday. Now, some people might say, what's the big deal? It's no big deal. I I, I do my duty. I come to church every Sunday, and then I go live my life. No big deal, right? No big deal? Do you think if the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God creator of heaven and earth, ruler of the universe, gives you gifts, and you just sit on them and refuse to use them, It's no big deal? You think God thinks that's no big deal? In fact, if you have no desire to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a cause for concern when it comes to our salvation. That's the third truth about spiritual gifts. Every Christian has them. Everyone. Every single person in here. Not just some, but all of us. Now four, the fourth truth about spiritual gifts is they are manifestations of the Spirit. Look at verse 7 with me in your text. Verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation, this is one of the ways the Holy Spirit shows himself or manifests himself inside of a believer. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he will manifest himself. He will show himself. It's one way the Spirit does this. Now, there are others, right? We might think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit will exhibit fruit in a believer's life if you actually have it. But, but these things are not... Uh, separate and opposed to one another, they go hand-in-hand. Think about, as we use our spiritual gifts, the only way to use them in the way that the Lord wants us to use them is to do so by exhibiting those traits, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But this also means, if they're manifestations of the Spirit, this also means that spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, are not the same as natural talents. Okay? Okay. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talents, because anyone without the Spirit can have a natural talent. Anyone without the Spirit can have a natural talent. But only someone with the Spirit has gifts from the Spirit, right? It's not the same as natural talents. Natural talents are from God. They are. God is the one who grants all of these things. Natural talents are from God, but they're not manifestations of the Spirit in a person's life. Because unbelievers do not have the Spirit. This is why taking a test, or a spiritual gifts inventory test, you might have heard it called, those are not the best way to figure out your spiritual gifts. Now, I don't doubt that those things have helped people in the past. I don't, some people have probably gotten some benefit from those things. But I can take one of those spiritual gifts inventory tests and hand it to a non-Christian. And say, fill this out. And then they hand it back to me. And that test will tell them that they have spiritual gifts when they don't. They don't have the spirit. And so taking a test is not the best way to determine your spiritual gifts. Not to mention the fact that if you're smart, you can actually change your answers in such a way that it'll tell you you have this gift, and then take it again and it'll tell you you have this gift, right? Taking a test is not the best way, but here is. Let me tell you the best way to figure out your spiritual gifts. How do I discover my spiritual gifts? Here's the best way. You ready? Trial and error. It's the best way. What do I mean by that? In a church, in a church, you see a need in the body of Christ. All of a sudden, you're made aware of a need within the body of Christ, and you say, I want to help. I'm going to volunteer to serve and try to meet that need. And you go and do it, and then you come back, and you, you, you think one of two things usually. You think, well, that's not my spiritual gift, right? I did my best. I tried to help, but I don't even know if I even blessed anybody with that. But, The need need was met, right? There was a need and we met the need. Or you come back and you say, wait a second. I wasn't expecting this. I I feel fulfilled in, in my heart. I feel like there was some actual fruit that came out of what I did. Somebody was helped. Maybe I'll try that again. And then you keep doing that, and pretty soon you start to realize, well, maybe this is one of my spiritual gifts. Maybe I can continue serving in this area. This, this area over here drains me and completely is outside of my comfort zone. Or, you know, it's not even something that I feel like God's given me a desire or opportunities to do. But this over here, well that, that's a different story, right? It's trial and error. But to do that, brothers and sisters, to do that, you have to be involved in the body of Christ. It's very hard to discover your spiritual gifts through trial and error if you only come to church on Sunday, and that's the only involvement you have with the body of Christ. Very hard. Right? To do this, you have to be involved with the people that are involved in the church. The people, the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have here, so that you can start plugging yourself in and start doing trial and error. You may be given a spiritual gift. We talked about talents. You may be given a spiritual gift which your natural talents enhance. Sometimes God will give a spiritual gift and you have natural talents that enhance that spiritual gift. They're not the same, natural talents and spiritual gifts, but your natural talents might enhance your spiritual gift. But don't pigeonhole yourself because there are times when God will give a spiritual gift that takes you in the opposite direction from your natural talents. So that you can serve in that way and He can gain glory. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about Moses. Think about all the people in the Bible that God specifically gave a ministry to that was in opposition to their natural abilities. It actually played to their weaknesses so that God's glory could shine the clearer because those people were weak and God was strong through their weaknesses. And so don't think this is only ever going to play to your strengths. Sometimes God will call you to minister out of your weaknesses. Because, brothers and sisters, spiritual gifts are ministries. They're for other people. They're not talents. They're ministries that God gives to us. They're ministries you perform to others. Think about the ones listed in Scripture. Serving, teaching, administration, hospitality, generosity. Even those that I believe have ceased were done in service of others. Prophecy, tongues, miracles, healing. They were all done in service of others. They're ministries. Right? And so that kind of concludes that section. Four truths on spiritual gifts. They are gifts, number one. They are not for you, but for others, number two. Number three, every Christian has them. And number four, they are manifestations of the Holy Spirit within you. Now, Let's conclude with verse 3, which I don't know about you, but when I read this text, that seems like it sticks out like a sore thumb. Verse 3. Look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that verse fit in with all of the verses around it? That's actually a good habit to get into as you read your Bibles on your own. As you read your Bibles day by day, you come across a verse and you say, how does that verse fit in with all the verses around it? I would encourage you to stop and to take time to try to figure that out, to meditate on it, maybe to write it down and go look up some answers or go ask a question to somebody later. It's a good habit to develop in your own Bible study. But how does verse 3 fit in with what's around it? Well, we see the Holy Spirit in that verse, right? It says, only by the Holy Spirit can someone. Jesus is Lord, and no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. But what's that mean? What's that really mean? Well, here's one thing it means. The primary way that you know if a person has the Holy Spirit is not the presence of amazing spiritual gifts. The primary way you know if someone has the Spirit is not the presence of amazing spiritual gifts. The primary way you know is, is Jesus Lord of their life? Is Jesus their Lord? There are those today who say that you are not a true Spirit-filled believer until you speak in tongues. You're not a true Spirit-filled believer until you speak in tongues. Paul says, no. The presence of certain gifts is not primary. What is primary is whether or not Jesus is Lord of that person's life. You can't say Jesus is Lord and mean it. From your heart. You can't say Jesus is Lord and mean it from your heart. Anybody can say the words. You can't say the words and mean it from your heart. That Jesus is actually my Lord without the Holy Spirit. It is only by the Holy Spirit that you can say that and mean it. Conversely, no one who denies that Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. Think about Paul's day. Paul is ministering and writing In the first century, think about what was going on in that time. Jesus, this miracle working man, has just come and set the place on fire. But then he died. But then there's a rumor going around that he rose back from the dead. And then he went back up into heaven. There's a lot of people who are having a hard time believing that Jesus was the Messiah. There's a lot of people in that day having a hard time believing that this Jesus guy really is from God. He really is the one. right? Well, Paul is telling them, in no uncertain terms, anyone who denies that Jesus is Lord does not have God's Spirit. Anyone who denies that Jesus is Lord does not have God's Spirit. He's making it a point. If you run into anyone who rejects Jesus as the Messiah or Lord of all, you can know for certain that they don't have the Spirit of God in them. Only by the Spirit... Can someone come to trust Jesus as Lord? It's only by the Spirit that any of us has come to trust Jesus as Lord. Now this doesn't mean if someone tells you Jesus is their Lord, that you trust everything they have to say on spiritual gifts. That's not what that means. But it's only by the Spirit that we can come to Jesus and have Him become our Lord. Only by the Spirit. What's the verse written right here? Right here. Romans 10... 17. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Who inspired the Word? Who inspired the Word of God? It was the Spirit. If you come to faith through hearing the Word, you're coming to faith through the Spirit. It's only by the Spirit that you can come to know Jesus as the Lord of your life. At the same time, it's the Spirit who convicts us of our sin. It's the Spirit who convicts us of our need to be made right with God. It's the Spirit who did that. It was the Spirit who was pulling on my heart when I was 13 years old, sitting about three-fourths of the way back in the auditorium in Owensboro, Kentucky, and I felt like that minister was preaching only to me. I felt like there was no one else in the room. I felt like every single word God gave him was for me. It was the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Holy Spirit That you can come to Jesus. That he can become your Lord. And so here's the question. Is he doing that to you right now? Has he done that to you? Have you felt that? Have you accepted it or submitted to it? Is the Holy Spirit moving in your heart right now? Convicting you of your need to make Jesus your Lord? That's as good a place as any for us to end. Brothers and sisters, we're going to spend a couple minutes now in silent prayer. This silent prayer time is so that every single one of us can respond to God's Word. Every single one of us can go to God right now while it's fresh on our hearts and our minds and we can respond because the way that the Spirit pierced your heart just now is probably different than the way He pierced mine. So we're all going to go... We're all going to pray silently. We're all going to respond to God from the word that he just gave to us and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then after a few moments of silent prayer and reflection and responding to God, we'll come back, we'll have a time of public response for those who need to respond in that way. So let's pray together.